Hey y'all, I cannot believe it is the last couple of episodes for season one. After Murders from 2009, I'll be doing the season finale. I have not decided on the biggest case from this decade yet. I have a few options, and I'm going to post a poll on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to see which case sounds most interesting to y'all. Keep a lookout on your social media to make sure you have a say in the finale for season one. Hey y'all, this is May, and I want to welcome you to Crimes of a Decade, a Texas true crime podcast. This season, I'll be discussing murders from the year 2000 through 2009. Today's story is of a female murderer from 2009. So grab you some Whataburger and open that Dr. Pepper. Let's go back in time to the year 2009. Michael Jackson died on June 25, 2009. He was 50 years old. That same year, a Ukrainian gas company failed to pay off its accumulating debts for previous gas supplies, and on January 1st, Russia cut off gas supplies to Ukraine, and on January 7th, the dispute turned to crisis when all Russian gas flows through Ukraine were halted for 13 days, completely cutting off supplies to southeastern Europe. The issue was finally resolved on January 18th. Another thing that happened in 2009 was a woman's jealousy reaching its boiling point. Please join me in walking down Erie Lane. It's supposed to be one of the happiest days of your life. You are in your white dress, the love of your life waiting for you at the altar. You have your friends and family there to show their support for this new, exciting, happily ever after you are about to embark on. That is what Letitia Arcos believed when she married Jason Banks on May 15, 1995. Around that same time, Christy Appleby was going through the same sort of experience when she married Tommy Appleby on June 22, 1996. Both couples were expecting this next chapter of their lives to be the best yet. According to the Texas Department of State Health Services in Texas, there were 85,394 divorces reported to the Bureau of Vital Statistics in 2002, an increase of 2.3% from the 83,473 divorces reported for 2001. Both these couples succumbed to these statistics, with Christy and Tommy divorcing in 2001 and Letitia and Jason following in 2002. The two couples had a lot in common, both marrying within a year of each other, both couples lived in San Antonio, Texas, and both, unfortunately, divorcing within a year of each other. These couples did not know each other, yet, but when they did, tragic results would follow. Christy and Jason met and started dating around 2004. 
three years after Christie's divorce, and two years after Jason's. Everyone seemed to be fine with this relationship, with the exception of one person, Letitia Arcos, who believed Christie was the cause of her marital problems with her ex-husband. On the evening of October 26, 2008, Letitia decided to confront Christie at her apartment. Christie opened the door to Letitia, but then saw the gun. Letitia pushed Christie back inside and held her at gunpoint. Then she gave Christie a pen and paper, and while holding the gun pointed at her, she forced her to write out her own suicide note. Once finished, Letitia handed her a bottle of sleeping pills and made her wash it down with a bottle of liquor. During all of this, Letitia held a gun to her, but also threatened members of Christie's family if she did not comply. So Christie did all that she was forced to do. And then, it was the next morning. Christie woke up, and while looking around, she realized that she wasn't at her apartment anymore, but a hospital. She looked down, and her wrists were bandaged. The doctor came in, and she learned of the two deep cuts that had been made on her wrists. The doctor was talking to Christie like she had just attempted suicide and what the next steps would be. She stopped the conversation, stating she did not try to kill herself, and explained the events of the night before. The doctor then called investigators and a domestic violence advocate to her hospital room. Christy went through her story again of what happened, but after taking the pills, the next thing she could remember was waking up in the hospital bed. Unfortunately, the investigators did not believe Christie's story and filed their report as an attempted suicide. Christie Appleby was furious and terrified, especially since the police did not believe her and Letitia was still a threat to her. So Christie took action and pursued a protective order against Letitia Arcos. She was denied. The district attorney's office, citing the law, denied the request because Christie and Letitia were not involved in a relationship with each other. And according to the law, such orders are only granted when the parties involved are either married, romantically involved, or of the same family or household. Because the language in the statute did not account for her particular circumstance, she was not allowed protection from her attacker. Christy did, however, break up with Jason after that attack and failed protective order. She just wanted to move on with her life. Christy was able to find the positive, no matter what the situation, because she loved life. She also had a special place in her heart for animals. She was working at Bulverde Creek Animal Hospital and really enjoyed it. She had worked there for over a year and still looked forward to being at the animal hospital every day. Christy felt those same feelings when she drove into her job's parking lot at 7.15 a.m. on February 10, 2009. But her mood would soon change when she got out of the car and was confronted 
by Letitia. She started yelling at Christy. About six people stopped what they were doing to see what was going on. And that is when they saw Christy take off running around a car. Letitia chased after her and then fired six shots, hitting Christy twice in the neck. Letitia then fled the scene in a silver Honda Odyssey, while the witnesses called 911. Christy Appleby was airlifted to University Hospital, where she later died. She was just 32 years old. The search then began for Letitia Arcos. For safety reasons, five schools in the Northeast Independent School District were put on lockdown, and the animal hospital closed for the rest of that day. Thankfully, some of Letitia's family members helped locate her, and she was caught a few hours later. She was about 30 miles away, close to one of the San Antonio missions, San Jose. Letitia was charged with murder and was being held at the Bear County Jail on a $150,000 bond. She hired two attorneys right away, Eric DeWalt and Libby Wiederman, with DeWalt actually posting her bond. This is called an attorney bond. It is similar to the most common bail bond, called a certi bond, which is when a bail bondsman provides a bond to have the inmate released for a fee of around 10% of the total bail amount. Although the process of obtaining the bond is the same, there are a few ways in which attorney bonds are different from the typical certi bond. One difference is that the attorney who holds your bond must be the one representing you for the case in question. Your lawyer will have to file paperwork with the court stating that they will be acting as your attorney. According to Texas law, this lawyer does not have to be the only one working on your case, but they do have to handle it in some way. Another difference involves the cost of your defense. Many attorneys who hold bail bonds allow their clients to count the 10% bond fee toward their legal fees. By having your attorney hold your bond, you can essentially kill two birds with one stone and take care of your bond plus a few legal fees with one payment. And the last difference is that attorney bonds help streamline your case. Having an attorney working on your bail from the get-go enables you to get released from jail sooner than using a traditional bondsman. The attorney can bypass certain hoops and take your paperwork straight to the judge. Letitia Arcos was now free on bond the same month she gunned down an innocent woman. Immediately after her release, Letitia stayed with her ex-husband, Jason, but later moved in to her parents' house. to introduce you to Julie Castro. She is a home baker and owner of Timeless Creations by Julie, where she specializes in personalized and delicious decorated cookies, cakes, cupcakes, and many other desserts. You can find her on Instagram and Facebook. And mention my podcast and you'll receive 15% off.
Christy would be here today if Bear County had done their job the first time and seeked out other information. And I don't think they did, said Dennis Mooring, Christy's father. I don't think they cared. And so now we've got to bury our daughter. They grieved. Her family, friends, and co-workers were heartbroken by this loss. But they were also frustrated with the law and believed this murder could have been prevented. Christie's death exposed a flaw in Texas Protective Order statute, a flaw her family, lawyers, and representatives were going to fight to be corrected. On January 11, 2009, the 81st legislative session was taking place. So just weeks after Christie's death, the office of Carlos Uresti worked with police, prosecutors, domestic violence advocates, and Christie's family to craft a bill that would close the loophole in the law concerning protective orders. They presented this bill to the Senate, who were deeply moved by Christie's story. Members of the Senate unanimously adopted a memorial resolution for Christie and adjourned that day in her honor. The bill, allowing third-party protective orders to be obtained by people at risk for domestic violence who are not involved in an intimate relationship with their abuser. This bill flew through the Senate, and about a month later, Martinez Fisher filed the same bill under the House name 1986. This act would take effect immediately if it receives a vote of two-thirds of all the members elected to each house. If this act does not receive the vote necessary for immediate effect, this act takes effect September 1, 2009. Unfortunately, it did not pass in the House. Carlos Uresti stated they would soon get another chance and bring it up for the 82nd legislative session. The law failed Christie on that cold February day in 2009 and denied her a chance to protect her life. For those in similar circumstances, the legislator must not miss its second chance to pass this bill. I'm just a bill, yes I'm only a bill, and I'm sitting here on Capitol Hill. Well, it's a long, long journey to the capital city. It's a long, long wait while I'm sitting in committee. But I know I'll be a law someday, at least I hope and pray that I will. But today I am still just a bill. The prosecution and defense went through six months of negotiations before coming to an agreement on an acceptable plea. On August 20, 2010, Leticia Arcos pleaded guilty to first-degree murder and was sentenced to 40 years in prison, being eligible for parole after 20 years. Christy Appleby's family witnessed the sentencing along with Leticia's family. Christy's family had the opportunity to give victim impact statements, but declined. Leticia's lawyer, Eric DeWalt, explained the sentencing as tears all around. It was a pretty solemn day. Both parties chose to come to an agreement. It was such a delicate situation. Her lawyer, Libby Wiederman, said, honestly, 
she wanted to do it when explaining Letitia's decision to agree to the plea. She wanted to spare her family and the victim's family from going through a trial. She was just ready for all this to end. She wanted there to be closure on the whole thing. She continued on to explain that the mood inside the courtroom Friday was surreal but calm. It took only minutes for Letitia to plead guilty and to be sentenced. Usually, with pleas on charges like that, on one side someone will get very hysterical, which is understandable. It was really the calmest plea I've probably ever done. Carlos Uristi pre-filed Senate Bill 116 on November 8, 2010, which was the first day to file legislation for the 82nd Texas Legislature that would convene the next month. He stated, By filing on the first day, I wanted to send a message to the people of Texas and my colleagues in the legislature that this bill will be a top priority for me. The goal would be to make the bill an act and not specifically a law, explained this way. An act is a single enacted bill proposed in a single legislative session, approved in a single presidential assent. A law, in contrast, can be the result of multiple acts approved in multiple presidential assents at different times and then codified into a single statute. It took more than two years of persistence by Christie's family and Uresti's staff, but they finally made it through the legislative process, and the Christie Appleby Act was sent to the governor's desk. This bill will ensure that anyone threatened by a broken or dysfunctional relationship will receive the full protection of the law, Uresti said in a prepared statement. Other bills I found interesting that passed during the same legislative session included Senate Bill 1154 continues the existence of the statewide Blue Ribbon Task Force that was created in 2009 to develop innovative approaches in preventing child abuse and neglect. The new law will allow the task force, set to expire in August, to continue its work until September 2013 and provide some state resources to task force members who have been paying their own transportation costs and other expenses. Senate Bill 1490 makes it a felony to provide a Texas court with false statements regarding a child custody determination made in a foreign country. It was prompted by the case of an 11-year-old San Antonio boy who was taken from a school bus and turned over to his father based on false custody information provided to a state judge. Senate Bill 201 fixes a loophole in the law granting a full property tax exemption to veterans who are 100% disabled from military service. Some appraisal districts have ruled that the exemption should stay with the homestead when the home is sold. The bill ensures that the exemption follows the veteran as the legislator intended. In 2011, 
some more bills passed about domestic abuse that will help reach more Texans who are in need of protection. Senate Bill 279 makes pets and other companion animals eligible to be included in protective orders. Senate Bill 116 addresses dating violence. It makes protective orders available to the new boyfriend, girlfriend, or spouse of the victim. House Bill 649 relates to the issuance and duration of protective orders for victims of sexual assault. Previously, victims had to prove there was a threat of an additional attack. Fear of an attack wasn't sufficient. Senate Bill 250 extends protective orders to someone who is being stalked but has not been sexually assaulted or a victim of domestic abuse. House Bill 905 allows hearsay statements of a child to be submitted to the court. Another person, such as a teacher, could report the child's observations, including whether he or she saw a parent being beaten. Senate Bill 789 establishes permanent protective orders in serious cases. The victim could get a lifetime protective order without having to face his or her abuser in court. Previously, the longest duration was two years. It seems Texas has made some good strides in helping to protect against domestic violence. But we need to keep improving on these laws because the fight is never over. a huge thank you to mysanantonio.com, Texas Tribune, KSAT, and all the other great resources that helped me get all the information for this episode. I will put a link to their work in the show notes. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Crimes of a Decade, a Texas true crime podcast. Please join me next week when we discuss a male murderer from the year 2009. If you are enjoying this podcast, I would love for you to hit the subscribe button. I would also love for you to rate and review my podcast on iTunes, as it really does help out. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email me at crimesofadecade at gmail.com. You can also find me on Instagram at crimesofadecadepod and on Twitter at crimesofadecade.com.